Deep and high. Deep and high. Deep and high. Okay, so it's not every day that uh, you have a Pidna Ben. It's not every day that you have, what was it, seven Pidna How many? Six? Six? Seven? Seven Pidna Bens. It's definitely not every day. So, there's a theme by every single one of the Pidna Bens, which was life. Life. That the Kayin was giving a blessing to the Bukhar, to the firstborn, that he should have life. He should have a happy life, a healthy life, a life full of fear of God, love of God, Torah, Chuppah, Maisim Taivim, life. The truth is we find this, even in Halacha, that the age that a baby is able to have a Bidna Ben on and on is 30 days. Why is that? It's one of the simple reasons is because a, ba- a baby under the age of 30, you're not sure if the baby's healthy or not. But once it hits the day, age of 30, 30 days, then you can already say that the baby is chayim, the baby's alive and it's a healthy life and that's a shen will be till 120. Pidna ben is connected with life. You find this also with Yaakov and Esav, right? The brothers Yaakov and Esav, that when Yaakov bought the birthright from Esav, so he says to Esav, sell me the birthright, to be a bachar, to be a firstborn. And Esav says, hine anochi holich lamas, I'm going to die. Lamas eli bachar, what do I need to be a firstborn for? So you see, being a firstborn, Bukhar has to do with life. Pidna Ben has to do with life. This is why it's an interesting thing, by the way. Usually, when we do mitzvahs, by certain special occasions, we have a suit, we have a meal to celebrate the mitzvah. But what's unique is that usually the meal comes after the mitzvah. Let's say you have a bris. So it's a bris after davening. And then after the bris is over, you go have the meal. You go to a wedding, there's a chuppah. Then after the chuppah, you have the meal. But Pidna Ben is unique. Is that the custom is to do the Pidna Ben in the middle of the meal. When a person eats, that's how you sustain life, right? The meal is a celebration of life. Pidna Ben has to be done during the meal. Pidna Ben equals life. So how do we understand this? What does this tell us about life? What does this tell us about a Pidna Ben? See, it's interesting. A Pidna Ben is a mitzvah that unites the firstborn and Kahanim. Those two categories of people, a firstborn and a kain. And it's interesting, we find in Chazal, and Tanakh, that a firstborn, the concept of a Bukhar, the concept of a firstborn, is related to Malchus, to kingship. It says in Tehillim, David Melch says, in the name of Hashem, he's quoting God, that Hashem looks at David, who's the king of the Jewish people, and Hashem says about David, Afani Bukhar Nesatich, I have placed you as the firstborn of the Jewish people. A firstborn is the embodiment represents the kingdom of Hashem. Hashem being the king. The king of David HaMelech is a representative, a reflection of Hashem being the king. Every firstborn is a piece of David HaMelech. And the way it was supposed to be, when Hashem set up the world in the beginning, the way it was supposed to be, is that the firstborn were also the Kahanim. The firstborn were also the ones serving in the temple, in the Beis HaMikdash. That was the way it was supposed to be. And we know that as a result of the sin of the golden calf, then there became this divide. That the Bechorim remain firstborns, can't take that away. But the, 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 the right of the kahuna, the right of serving in the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan, and offering sacrifices, that was taken from them and given to the tribe of Levi. The whole Indian, the concept of Pidna Ben, is to reunite those worlds. It's with the Kohen, when the firstborn gives the Pidna, gives the money to the Kohen, and the Kohen gives a blessing to the, to the Bukhar. 
reuniting those two worlds. We're trying on our level to fix that sin of the golden calf, to reunite those two worlds of firstborn, of malchus, of kingship, and kahuna. The truth is, if you think about it, this expression is also related to this. You know, everything's bashkacha pratis, everything was with divine providence. The fact that this simcha, which is, by the way, you should know, like I was, you know, this is incredibly rare. Incredibly rare. Pigna bends are not too often, not too common. They have like seven. You know, I don't even, has such a thing ever existed? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, this, maybe this might be the first time in all of history that seven, seven bukhars come together to redeem themselves. Who knows? But bashkacha pratis is in Parshish Chayi You know, the city of Hebron, Right, which is where Sari Menu and all the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried. So the city of Hebron has a nickname. It's called Kiryat Arba. Right, Kiryat Arba, which literally means the city of four. Why is it called the city of four? So it's different interpretations, right? Well, the fame, one well-known interpretation is that there's four, there's four couples buried there: Adam and Chava, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov and Leah. There's a very interesting interpretation in the Medrash. And this is how it's, how it's related to Pidna Ben. The Medrash says the reason why it's called the city of four is because the city of Hebron passed through four hands. First Hebron, when the Jewish people entered the land, it was given to the tribe of Yehuda. From the collective tribe of Yehuda, it was given specifically to Kalev, Kalev ben Yefuna, one of the twelve, one of the spies. And then from Kalev, Kalev then donated the city to Levium. And then during the times of the Second Temple, the Levium living in Hebron donated the city to Kahanim. So it's Yehuda, Kalev, Levium, Kahanim. Those are the Kirat Arba, the city of four. Which is interesting. Beginnings and ends are tied to each other. It's a big principle. Beginnings and ends are tied to each other. The beginning of Hebron is Yehuda, which is kingship. It's Malchus, that's the Bukhar. And the end of Hebron is Kahanim. That's the priesthood. The word Hebron means chibur, means connection. This is why the city of Hebron is a city that's, that's very much connected with kingship and priesthood. For example, David Amelech, where is his capital? What's the capital city of David Amelech? It's Yerushalayim. But the first seven years of David's reign, the capital was Hebron. It means the beginning of kingship by the Jewish people is Hebron. Every single day in the temple, before service began, they needed to verify that it was sunrise. So it was a procedure. The Mishnah tells us that the procedure was a person would get up and say, Behold, the sun has uh, lit up. The horizon is lit. And the Kahanim and the Besamigdash, this was a ceremonial thing. They would say to the person, Has the sky, has the horizon lit all the way till Hebron? And the answer was yes. Then they would start the service. Means every single day, the beginning of Malchus, the beginning of kingship is Hebron, the beginning of Kahuna, the beginning of priesthood, of every single day, the Avodah, the ceremony in the Beis Amigdash, Hebron. Hebron is therefore also connected with life, right? Remember Pidyan Ben is to do with life? So evidently, Hebron is also connected with life. Sari Menu, the reason why Avram Avinu chose that place of Hebron to be the designated spot for burial of himself, his wife, the patriarchs, and the matriarchs, is because. The Zorah tells us that Avram Avinu understood with divine prophecy that that spot, that place of Hebron, is saturated with Tchias Mason, with the power of the revival of the dead, of the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead means life. It means life that even death can't stop life. So Hebron, which is a city, which is the beginning of kingship, 
and the beginning of the priesthood of every single day in the Beis HaMikdash, the city that began with Yehuda and ends by the Kahanim, is also the city of Tchies HaMesim, of life. It's a city of Pidna Ben. That's what Hevron is. Okay, so those are the puzzle pieces, yeah? So we have Pidna Ben is somehow connected to life. Mm-hmm. It's a theme of Pidna Ben is life. Pidna Ben means to connect priesthood with kingship. So what does that mean? This wasn't deep yet. Now we're going deep, okay? We're going deep. <laughs> Every single day we say twice a day, there's one line, there's a sentence which is Judaism. It sums up what, everything we believe, and that is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad. Here, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. Baruch Shem Kavod Machus Alonvad, blessed be his kingdom forever and ever. In the Zara Kaddish, we find those two sentences Shema Hashem Echad, that God is one. And blessed be his kingdom forever and ever. In the Zara Kaddish, we're taught that those are two different levels of the experience of God in this world. There's such a thing that a Jew can experience God on the level of Shema Yisrael. And there's such a thing as experiencing God on the level of Baruch Shem. In the terminology of Kabbalah, this is called the following thing Shema Yisrael, it's called Yichudi Ilah, the higher unity. And Baruch Shem, is the lower unity. Yehudatata, the lower unity. What does that mean? So what does it mean to... Let's, let's go low first. Build ourselves up. The lower unity. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus That's calling Hashem. That's, that's a relationship between us and God. That's a relationship of Hashem being our king. Right? Blessed be the name of His kingdom forever. There's a famous concept when it comes to kingdom, which is Ein Melech, there's no such thing as a king without a people. The definition of a king is that the king is the king, and there, by its very definition, there must be citizens that are not the king, separate from the king, but dependent on the king. That's what a kingdom is, right? There's no, a, a person that has a family, right? You have your own children. You're not called, that's not called a kingdom. Why? Because your children are a part of you. You're an extension of you. Kingdom by, a kingdom by its very definition means that there's a king who's powerful, who's in control, but ultimately the citizens or the people that he's in control of are not him. A kingdom, there's no such thing as a king without citizens. A citizen means someone that's not the king. So there's a way to relate to God which is that we are human. This is a world that we are in charge of. This is a world that we have free range over. There's such a thing as free will. There's such a thing that when I'm sitting in front of his table, I'm sitting on a chair, I'm holding a microphone, the words that are coming out of my mouth are my own free choice. And all of this is being watched by God. All of this is being supported by God. And hopefully God's happy with everything that we do. That's called Yehuda Tato, that's called the lower unity. This is a perspective of God that is something that the body understands. The body, this is a perspective of the body. The body, which is very human and very down to earth, sees itself as something, sees itself as something that has its own place, its own sense of existence. And God is the king. God's the king, he's in charge. That's called the lower unity. That's called Baruch Shem Kavod Malchus Elonavod. This is called Malchus, this is called kingship. Kingship means that there is us, and we exist, we have free will, we have dominance, we have our own existence, 
And we have to remind ourselves that there's a God in heaven that's watching, that's protecting, that we need help from. That's called the lower unity. That's not how the neshama sees things. This is how the body sees things. It's not how the soul sees things. How does the soul see things? The soul does not see this world as something that exists and just, we need God's help. The soul sees reality from a completely different vantage point. The soul sees reality in such a way that all there is is God. All there is is God. Which means that everything that exists, the soul sees it as an extension of Hashem Himself. Of God's presence in this world is being manifest, is being revealed through everything of this world. Not that there's a world and God's in charge of it. There's a God. And the rest of the world are His expressions, how He expresses Himself. These are two separate ways of thinking. If someone, if I'm having a, if, if, if someone, uh, if someone does something to you that maybe is not so nice, right? Let's say, yeah, I don't know. You're driving on the highway, someone cuts you off. So there's two different ways to look at that experience. One way is how the body sees it, which is, the guy cut you off. That's what it is. And then you have to remind yourself, well, okay, so, you know, it must be that uh, on some level I deserved it, God's in charge, nothing happens without him watching, the guy will get paid back, I don't know, whatever, something like that, you know. But then there's a way of seeing it from Yehudi Law, from the high unity, which is, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, Echad, all there is is one God. And that way is the following. That wasn't a person that cut me off. That was Hashem communicating something to me. Hashem was telling me something. What is He telling me? Only you know. Only you know. Every experience that we have in the world is two ways to look at it. Either it was just a regular experience being watched by God, and God's watching just to make sure things don't get too crazy. That's how the body sees things. That's called malchus, that's called kingship. But the other way of seeing it is that everything that happens to you is God talking to you. Everything is a vehicle for God. Everything is a mouthpiece for God. Everything is a messenger of God himself. This is what it means, the priesthood. The priesthood, the Gemara tells us that when Kahanim, when Kahanim, when priests served in the Beis HaMikdash, they functioned as shluchit rachmana, messengers of God. They weren't human beings sacrificing for Hashem. They were messengers of Hashem receiving the sacrifice. Means this is the fundamental difference. Melech means there's a world, and God is the king over the world. Kahana means all there is is God, and everything is an expression of Him. So what is, let's go back. That's body and that's soul. When we say every day, Shema Yisrael, Shema Kedah, Shema Chad, Baruch Shem, Kvad, what are we saying? We're saying to ourselves that there are two distinct ways of looking at reality. And sometimes I'm on the level to see reality with Shema Yisrael. And sometimes I'm not on that level. Sometimes I'm on the level of body. And instead of saying to myself, well, you know what? If I can't have Shema Yisrael, then, the whole, then forget it. We say to ourselves, no, real faith means that I believe in God to such a degree that if I'm able to see Him in a way of what? In the way of the soul, in the way of kahuna, in the way of priesthood, then great, then I'll see Him in such a way. Then I will, I will live that life where everything is God Himself. And if I'm not able to do that, if that's not where my head is, then I'm happy to believe in God as a king. And the Amunas Yisrael, the faith of the Jewish people is both Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem. 
and to believe that a full picture of life, a full picture of what a Jew looks like is a Jew that's expert in two things. Rabbi Nachman said this, a person has to be expert in two things. You have to know how to go high, and you have to know how to go low. There are some Jews that know how to go high. That when, some, when things are going well, and they're able to be in that place of Shema Yisrael, that's great. But then when that clarity is taken away, those Jews don't know how to go low. They don't know how to embrace the world of what? Of Baruch Shem, blessed be his kingdom forever. And there are some Jews that know how to go low. They're happy with thinking that they have their own existence. And they're okay with, listen, I have my own existence, and I'll be, make sure that I don't go to hell. Okay, I'll make sure. But I don't want to raise myself to a higher place to literally see myself as an extension of the infinite. I don't want to lose my power. There are Jews that know how to go low, but they don't know how to go high. What does it mean to be alive? Life means body and soul. Life means malchus, kingship, with priesthood. Mal- life means pirinaben. Life means Shema Yisro and Baruch Shem. Being alive means knowing when God is la- allowing me into that higher place of Shema Yisro and knowing when God is bringing me to a lower place of Baruch Shem. And either way, that's called serving God. That's what it means to be alive. That's what it means to be alive. This is why the city of Hebron is very much connected with this idea of knowing how to go high and knowing how to go low. You know, the city of Hebron, for example, we know there's four holy cities in Israel, right? Yushalayim is obviously the, mo- you know, the most holy. Yushalayim, Hebron is another one of the holy cities. Tzvat and Tiberia. And there's a tradition, going back to the Mekubalim, that those four cities of Eretz Yisrael correspond to the four basic elements of earth, water, fire, and wind. Yushalayim is fire, Tzvat is wind, air, Tveria is water, and Chevron is earth. That's why when Avram Avinu bought Mars and Machpelah, who did he buy it from? Ephron Achiti. His name is Ofer, that was his name. The whole city of Chevron is Ofer. It's a place of Kavur, it's a place of burial. It's a place of Ofer. But what's amazing is, is that the Pasuk tells us in, in, uh, in Parsha Shlach, when the spies were sent to Israel, it says that Olubanegev, they ascended from the south and they came to Hebron. Hebron is being described as a city that's on a mountaintop. It's a mountaintop. What does it mean a mountain? See, a mountain is an amazing thing. And a mountain means that earth is trying to touch heaven. A mountain means earth and heaven becoming united. That's what a mountain means. Earth means low. It means to know how to go low. Heaven means know how to go high. A mountain is in the middle. A mountain is this idea of knowing how to go high while being low at the same time. Hebron is a city of Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem. That's what Hebron is. This is why the sin of the golden calf caused such damage to the firstborn and it split those two worlds of Malchus of kingship and, and priesthood. Why? What was the sin of the golden calf? The sin of the golden calf was the Jewish people's inability to know how to handle the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. They thought Moshe died, right? They thought Moshe disappeared. You know what Moshe Rabbeinu means? Moshe Rabbeinu means Shema Yisrael. Mm-hmm. In Chumash, the only pasuk we have is Shema Yisrael, right? Baruch Shem Kolom blessed be God's kingdom forever, is not from Chumash. The world of Moshe Rabbeinu is the world of absolute oneness. The world of Moshe Rabbeinu is the, is the world of, of 
godliness. The Moshe Rabbeinu spoke and God's, God's voice came out of his throat. Moshe Rabbeinu was the Kohen Gadol. He was the high priest for those first days of the inauguration of the Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu means Shema Yisrael. When the Jewish people thought and were terrified that Moshe Rabbeinu left us, they, what that meant to them was, now we're going to have to embrace the world of what? Of Baruch, Shem, of Baruch Shem, of Malchus, of kingship, of being able to know how to go low, of being able to deal with, low, with situations in life where you don't have clarity, you don't have that oneness, you don't know what's up, what's down, and you have to sort of remind yourself that there's a God that's watching you. And the Jewish people said, we're not interested in that. It's either Moshe or bust. That sin of the golden calf, which was the Jewish people's inability to be able to go low, resulted in this separation between the priesthood and kingship. Every time we do Pidna Ben, it's fixing that mistake a little bit. It's the Jewish people, each and every one of us, reminding ourselves that God, if you want me to feel inspired, I'm going to allow myself to feel inspired. And God, if you don't want me to feel inspired, I'm okay with that too. Because either way, up or down, at the end of the day, I'm in your presence. Like David Melech said in Tehillim, one of the most beautiful psukim, Emesek Shemayim, if I ascend to heaven, Shamata, that's where you are. The marriage shalom, if I descend to the very depths of hell, Hinaka, that's where you are too. That's what it means to be a king and a priest. That's what it means to be not ben. That's why it's an amazing thing when Kalev, there's a lot to talk about, but when Kalev went to Israel with the 12 spies, the sin of the spies was the same problem. What did it mean to go to Israel? Going to Israel meant there's not going to be any mana coming from heaven. There's not going to be clouds of glory protecting you. There's not going to be a Maishu Rabbeinu. Going to Israel means roll up, your, roll up your sleeves and get to work. Eretz Yisrael means to know how to go low. And just like it was with the golden calf, the Jewish people were not interested in going low. They didn't believe that they could handle going low. So the sin of the spies was the same thing. They rejected Israel. And that's why it's an amazing thing. Kalev was given the city of Hebron, Kalev protected himself from the sin of the spies by going to Davin in the city of Hebron. Because the city of Hebron means this, this Indian of what? Of embracing going low, of being willing to go low, of realizing that whether you're going high or going low, it's all the same. There really is no difference between high and low. Because if you believe in God, then that means that all of these constructs, whether it be Shema Yisrael or Baruch Hashem, it's both created by God. So really, what's the difference? What's the difference if you're going high or going low? Sometimes God wants you to work in the top floor. Sometimes He wants you to work in the basement. Either way, that's what you're working for. Whether you're a shliach, whether you feel like you're a shliach or not, it's all the same minion. This is why also when you go back to the origin, the first time where the, where the Bechar, where the firstborn, this Indian of the firstborn was damaged, was with the sin of Ruvain. After Rachel Imenu, right? Yaakov is married to Rachel and Leah. After Yaakov is given the name Yisrael, right? After he struggles with the angel of Esav, he's given the name Yisrael. Rachel passes away. And Ruvain comes and takes the bed of Yaakov, which was in the tent of Rachel, and moves Yaakov's tent to Leah's tent. On a simple level, because Rachel was Niftara, so now Leah is the, is, is the main wife. So he was trying to help out his father. He shouldn't have to hire, uh, you know, uh, movers. So he'll do it himself. This was considered to be a terrible sin. And because of that, Yaakov Avinu told Reuven, because of that, the firstborn that was supposed to be yours, both kingship and priesthood, is taken away from you, Reuven. And pr- kingship is going to be given to Yehuda. 
and priesthood is given to the tribe of Levi. What was that sin of Ruvain? See, there's two levels, Yisrael and Yaakov. Yisrael means Li-Rosh. Yisrael means Shema Yisrael. Yisrael means all there is is one. That's the highest level. Yaakov means Akiv, means the heel. Yaakov means I don't sense that oneness of God. I'm not seeing it like that. But Yisrael means to be able to know how to go high. And Yaakov means to embrace going low. When Yaakov Avinu was given the name Yisrael, and Rachel Imenu was Nifteras, he Rachel Imenu is a shidduch with Yaakov. Leah is a shidduch with Yisrael. Okay? Yet the side of Yaakov Avinu, the Yisrael side of him, that's more united with Leah. Leah is the same letters as Ohel, which means a tent, something that's hidden, something that's mysterious, something that you can't even explain. That's called going high. Rachel Imenu is the one that's external beauty. Rachel Imenu is very explainable. Rachel Imenu's children, Yosef HaTzadik is the one that goes into exile. Rachel Imenu means to know how to go low. Yaakov is a shidduch with Rachel. Yisrael is a shidduch with Leah. When Rachel died, after Yaakov was given the name Yisrael, when Reuven took the bed of Yaakov and took it out of Rachel's tent and put it exclusively in the tent of Leah, what Reuven was doing is foreshadowing the sin of the, the sin of the eagle and the sin of the spies. What he's saying is, no more Yaakov Rachel. All there is now is Yisrael and Leah. It's just going high. It's just going high. Only Shema Yisrael, not Baruch Shem anymore. And because of that, what that did is that destroyed this unification, this union, which is Pignaben, this union of Bukhar, which is priesthood and kingship. Reuven damaged that. And so ever since then, this is the test of the Jewish people. Are you willing, are you able to accept the challenge of going high? And are you willing and able to accept the, to accept the challenge of going low? And if you're able to embrace both, that's called being alive. It says in Pasuk in, in Yechezkel, when he saw the visions of angels, it says, V'hachayis, Ratzav Chayis is a term for angels, but a specific type of angel, the word chaya is coming from the word chay, which means alive. Chayis, what does it mean to be alive? Running and returning. Running and returning. Hashem made the human being in such a way that life, you know, Hashem could have made us like, like computers, where there's not moving parts, we just, we just are, but Hashem made us in such a way where life is sustained by a pumping heart, where the heart gives and returns. The blood goes and it comes back. That's the definition of life. To the extent that a Jew was, accepts that mission of sometimes being Yisrael and Leah and sometimes being Yaakov and Rachel, sometimes being in the desert with Moshe Rabbeinu and sometimes being in Israel, sometimes having Moshe, sometimes not having Moshe, if you embrace that mission and you say to yourself, when I go up to heaven, if I go up to heaven, Shamata, that's where you are. And if I go to the depths of hell itself, that's where you are as well. To, extent, to the extent that a Jew embraces that mission of no matter what the situation is, I accept Shema Yisrael and I accept Baruch Shem. To that extent, you're alive. To that extent, you're a Jew. Hashem should bless each and every one of us in the schus of all the pigna bends that we just experienced. Hashem should reunite those two worlds of kingship and then Malchus. Like the Gemara says that in the Beis HaMikdash, which is a place of priesthood, the only person that's allowed to sit in the Beis HaMikdash is what? Is, is, the, is the king from Malchus Beis David. Because that place of Beis HaMikdash, which is a place that the Zohar describes, which is a place that heaven and earth cut, kiss, 
which is a reflection of Hebron. That place of Beis Hamikdash is a place of heaven and earth. It's a place of Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem. Hashem should bless us. To see with our own eyes the reunification of those two worlds of Malchus and priesthood, of Kuhun and Malchus, with the return of Dov Malkim Meshicha, return to the Beis Hamikdash, with the Avod of the Kahanim in the Beis Hamikdash, Kahanim Bavidasam, Ravim Beduchanam, Yisrael Bamamadam, the Beis Kol Tzadik Nerevi Amen.